Let's pray. God and our Father, we thank you that you have revealed your will to us in your word. So Lord, we pray that as we come to think about this tonight, that these wouldn't simply be uh, words on a page, but Lord, that you would have them speak to us and uh, move and work in us as according to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. It says a lot about a person, doesn't it, when you see how they react when they don't get their own way. I think it says volumes about a person's character. I mean, we all know about children and how they react. As a dad of three girls, I know all about the tantrums and the huffs and the kicking and screaming, yes, the vindictive breaking of a toy. Well, if I'm not going to have it, she's not going to have it either. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Children don't tend, or certainly young children don't react well to not getting their own way. I'm not sure how much changes when we grow up. It's meant to change, isn't it? Um, I don't know if all grown-ups are much different. I'm sure you've come across it, you know, somebody who takes the hump, who digs in their heels, hopefully metaphorically, who makes life difficult for everybody until they get their own way. It makes you think less of a person, doesn't it? But it speaks volumes for somebody's character. If they say very clearly, okay, well, I haven't got my own way. I've made my point, but okay, that's all right. We'll do it your way instead. And you might not have thought very much about this before, but Christians are called to be people who don't always get what we want. We're called to be people who submit to somebody else's will. We're called to pray to God, your will be done. We're called to submit to the will of God. And some of us aren't as good at it as maybe others are. It's interesting as a trainee minister in my position, when I bump into ministers, um, bump into a few of them here, um, but sometimes at presbytery or whatever, and they tell me the story of how they got called to their first church when they were at my stage. And it's very, very unsettling the number of times I've heard the story. And to a man, it's almost always the same line. And I prayed, Lord, please don't send me there. And you know what happened? You know what happened? The Lord made it so abundantly clear to them that that's exactly where he was calling them to go. Uh, Many of you will know Billy Swan. He was here several months ago. He's been here over the years many times. But last year, he was here and he told us his story If you were here, you probably remember it. Billy from Ballymena, a prod, no interest in cross-community work at all. Oh, Lord, I can't go to Dublin. Don't send me there. I can't go to them. Those weren't his exact words. Um, I don't think we were allowed to put those up on the podcast. But that's exactly what happened. And the Lord has blessed his work mightily there. And Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So our big idea tonight, it's a a very simple statement, but it's one with profound implications for us if we take it seriously. We're called to submit to the will of God in our lives. It's probably not massive news to anybody, but it is profound if we take it seriously. We're called to submit to the will of God. And we're given a pattern to follow in Jesus, a purpose in submitting, that's fruitfulness or sanctification and a priority in prayer. So these are this, that's where we're going this evening. So firstly, we're given a pattern to follow in Jesus. Now, not many of us 
we'll probably find ourselves in exactly uh, the same position as Jesus in Matthew 26. He's feeling these incredible emotions. He must have been under excruciating strain. I mean, he's facing execution and unjust execution at that. Um, Peter writes about this in his first letter. Uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 20, but if you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but here's the bit, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus submitted to the Father's will, but it certainly wasn't easy. It sounds very clinical, I think, or very formal when we read these words in church that we could almost miss it. You know, it's almost like we say it with a, I don't know, an upper middle class sort of bent on it. You know, he began to be sorrowful and troubled and we just don't really even think about that. But he, it actually says that he fell to the ground. He was in absolute agony. He was sorrowful and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Agony and anguish and chronic emotional suffering. In Luke's gospel, we read that his drops of sweat were like drops of blood running to the ground. I don't think that's a metaphor. It's actually a medical condition where blood vessels close to your skin, because of your blood pressure, they burst. And so you're, there's actually blood in your sweat. It only happens under immense psychological stress, which probably none of us here tonight will even ever experience. We know that he was feeling immense pressure. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. So it's not difficult to see why he was feeling under pressure. Betrayed by one of his closest friends, facing death itself, feeling forsaken by the Father on the human level, forsaken as he was given over to death. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. And so he prays. He prays in verse 39, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So it's a prayer, it's a prayer asking God, Lord, change my circumstances. If it's possible, take this away from me. But if what I want and you want aren't the same thing, then we'll do it your way. See the difference in his prayer when he goes back then in verse 42. I don't know, I hadn't really ever spotted this before. I kind of just thought he prayed the same thing twice, but he doesn't. There's a difference. This time he doesn't ask for the cup to be taken from him. His words have changed and it's important. He says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He goes back, he finds the men asleep again, and then it says he prays this again, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He doesn't ask anything there. He accepts the father's will. He says, well, if that's the way, if there's no other way, then yes, may your will be done, so be it. And those words in, in verse 42 in the Greek as well as in the English, they're word for word the same as what he teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. 
Now, this line of the Lord's Prayer, it's not like the line before it. You know, the line before it, we looked at last week, your kingdom come. Well, that's asking God to do something, you know. It's asking God to extend his kingdom in some way uh, in the world around us by bringing other people to faith or by bringing this scene of time to an end and, and fully ushering in the kingdom. But this line isn't like that. It's not really asking God to do something. It's a prayer of submission. It's a prayer that says we'll obey God. We'll live the way he calls us to, even when it's difficult. And it's a prayer that says we'll accept our circumstances. We'll submit to God's sovereign will and his control over things. Now, it's worth saying that doesn't mean that we can't ask God to change our circumstances. We can, and it's certainly okay. But this line of the prayer teaches us that if God doesn't change our circumstances, then we must accept it and we must submit to his will. What does that look like in real terms? What does it look like to submit to God's will? Well, I think it means that we don't have the toddler reaction of kicking and screaming or whatever the adult equivalent of that is. Are you somebody who complains a lot about your circumstances? Don't get me wrong, there's a, there's a place for that, humbly before God. I mentioned Habakkuk a few weeks ago uh, when we were thinking together about what it means for God to be our Father, how we're in covenant relationship with him and it means he'll bless us. And you'll remember that Habakkuk complains because he doesn't see that. He says, oh Lord, how long will I cry for help and you'll not hear? Or cry to you violence and you won't save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Why aren't you doing anything? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Justice never goes forth. Justice is perverted. Now, part of the conditions of God being our covenant God is that the people would obey and they haven't done that. So the blessing has been removed and that's okay. But it's still all right that Habakkuk complains. He asks God to change the circumstances and when God says no, he submits. He says, I hear, and my, my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, but I'll wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. It happens in the Psalms frequently, a complaint and a, a cry of distress, and it's not always resolved. It's not always resolved, but it's always accepted at the end of the day that God is God and God is sovereign. So it's okay for us to complain. It's okay for us to ask God to change our circumstances but if he doesn't, it's not okay for us to go on complaining. Uh, a friend of mine, who shall remain nameless, who is a retired minister, not here, not anybody to do with Ravenhill, um, he's become a bit cynical, <coughs> excuse me, in his old age, and he once said to me, you know, John, I think some of the people that I encountered in my ministry, they must think that their spiritual gift is complaining. Because honestly, the way they complained and complained and complained, and as much as that made me laugh, I think it's a very sad thing. We certainly are, are not called to be people who expect to get it our way all of the time. We thought this morning we're not living to please ourselves, we're not living to please others, we're living to please God. It's not okay to have the, the tantrum, we're, we're called to humbly accept God's will. So what about you this evening? Are, are you bitter because you're struggling to accept what God is doing in your life? Are you somebody who tends to be over busy because you're trying to be in control, trying to make your will happen rather than submitting to God's? 
Or do you feel justified at the minute, maybe in not doing what you know God wants you to do because he's not doing what you want? We're all in danger at times of falling into those sorts of traps. And if you recognize yourself in any of those, well then you need to turn tonight and ask God to help you pray with Jesus. Not as I will, but as your will. That's our pattern in Jesus that we're given. But then secondly, we're, we're given a purpose in submission as well. Not just shown how to do it, but we're told what the purpose is and its fruitfulness. As God's will unfolds in our lives, we experience the fruit of the Spirit. And it's what Paul prays for the Colossians. He, he prays that they'll know the will of God. We read those words in Colossians 1 verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if we wonder why Paul wants to pray this for these Christians, well, the good news is he tells us, he goes on in verse 10 and following, he says, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who is qualified to share you, share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Now that's one of those typical really long Paul sentences, so I've tried to condense it into four lines if you have it in the hand out there, but essentially he says, look, I want you to know God's will so that you'll live a life worthy of the Lord, so that you'll please him, you'll live to please him, reference this morning's sermon, that you'll grow in the knowledge of God, that you'll be strengthened with his power, so when it's tough to know his will or when it's tough to go with his will, you'll have strength, and then to joyfully give thanks to the Father. Now, there's too much there uh, to unpack in just this one point of my sermon tonight, but Thankfully, Paul also wrote to the Thessalonians, and we read this verse this morning where he puts it much more simply. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. To be sanctified just means to be made holy. Sometimes we'll use other words like spiritual growth or coming to maturity or being more like Jesus, and, and they're all great, but they all follow, fall under that theology word, which is sanctification. And when we see it in that way as our being made holy and our growth as Christians, well then it's easy to see as we come back to the Colossians why Paul prays that they'll grow in knowledge of the will of God. Because if it's for their sanctification, well then it makes sense that they'll live a life worthy of God, that they'll grow in knowledge of him, that they'll be strengthened for when it's tough, that they'll joyfully give thanks. Because as we grow in holiness, we become more like Jesus and we become more of these things because Jesus is sanctification personified. He lived a life worthy of God and pleased him in every way. He had unparalleled knowledge of God. He knew his strength even in the face of going to the cross. He joyfully gave thanks to his father. Suppose for a moment that I stood up here and told you that I was going to go and become uh, the minister of a Presbyterian church in Poland. Now, I'm not, just to make that clear, I'm not, but just pretend I was for a moment. Now, if I was going to do something like that, it wouldn't surprise you to hear that, you know, me and the family were taking Polish language lessons. It wouldn't surprise you to hear that I'd been shopping in the Polish supermarket down the street, trying different things to eat. You know, I'm a very plain eater. I'm not sure I could go, you know, 
Anyway, it's not, I'm not sure it can go 10 miles, never mind however many hundred miles it is to Poland, but that, that's, a, that's another point altogether. It wouldn't surprise you to see if I was testing the waters to see if I could live on a different diet. It wouldn't surprise you to hear that I'd maybe made connections with some Polish people to kind of get a bit of knowledge about their culture. I'd be trying to grow in knowledge of Poland since that's where I would be going. It wouldn't surprise you to hear that I'd be trying to get my legal documents in order because you know my arrangements for residency here are very simple. I was born here, that's it. But in a new country, that means nothing. I'd have to make the formal arrangements if I wanted to be a citizen there. And the thing is that you and I are citizens of somewhere else. We thought last week we're citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So it makes sense that we speak differently, that we have a different culture, if you like, that if we live to please God, as Marty said this morning, it won't always please the culture around us. And that makes sense because ultimately we're preparing to live somewhere else. It makes sense that we would wanna grow in our knowledge of that kingdom. So it makes sense that we would do all those things that Paul is talking about and in one word is our sanctification. Al Muller, in talking about this line in the Lord's Prayer, he puts it like this. He says, Jesus is asking the Father to reshape the hearts of every single person such that God is obeyed and glorified by men on earth as the angels obey and glorify God in heaven. We're not just given a pattern to follow in Jesus, but we're also given a purpose of sanctification, of growth, of obeying and living to please him and growing in our knowledge of him. It's easier to do something when there's actually a purpose. I mean, if I went this week and started up Polish classes for real, I'd give up very quickly because there'd be no point to it. There'd be no reason for me to do it. I've nothing against Poland. I've never been there. I've no notion of being a minister there. Your will be done, Lord. But I've got no indication yet that I've got no, that I'm meant to go there. It would be a pointless exercise as far as I'm concerned. And so I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't last 10 minutes in it. But when we have a purpose, an end point in view, well, it gives us strength to do things that we mightn't do otherwise. Maybe a more sensible example than the, the Polish one. When I was learning the piano, uh, my piano teacher, he had these four what he called practice rhythms that were my least favorite words in a music lesson. He said, right, you're doing that in the practice rhythms. I hated it. If there was ever a tricky bit in a piece, it wouldn't matter what way the composer had written it. He'd said, you're going to play these notes in the practice rhythms. And if I could have removed one thing from my piano lessons, that would have been it. But I stuck with them because they actually really did help me grow in my ability to play. Taking the notes and playing them in a different way helped me break it down and actually made me able to play them the right way in the end. All of us in our walk with the Lord, we, we face difficulties. Sometimes it would just be easier to give in to sin. Sometimes it would be easier to blow our top at that person who has annoyed us or not to help that person out, not to pray today, not to open the Bible today because we don't have time. It would inconvenience us. It would cost us. But when we choose to do his will for us, to live for him, to grow in knowledge of him, receive strength from him rather than plowing through on our own, choosing to give thanks to him rather than complaining, to trust his will, well, it's all part of his plan for us. And we will grow in our faith, even if it's hard and will become the people he wants us to be. So there is purpose in it, and it's well worth it.
So we're called to submit to his will. We're called to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're given a pattern to follow in Jesus. We're given a purpose, which is sanctification, fruitfulness. And then thirdly, we're given a priority in prayer. Or if you like, we're told what order our priorities should be when we pray. The, the Lord's Prayer essentially, is essentially made up of, of six requests. That's what the word prayer means. It comes from a word meaning to ask. We're asking God for things. And three of those asks are for ourselves. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. But the other three and the three that come first are for God and for his glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a simple point, but it's one that's worth making. The prayers for God's glory come first. And then we move on to prayer for ourselves. Again, I suppose it's a bit like the complaints. It's absolutely fine to ask God for the things that we need. It's fine to ask him to change our circumstances. But as Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to ask that things would be the way God wants them to be before we pray for things the way we want them to be. And as much as it's a, a very simple point to make that we pray for God's glory before our needs, if we can truly grasp it, it will completely transform the way that we pray. Because when we don't know what to pray for in any given situation, we can pray for his will to be done. We can pray for his name to be hallowed in the situation. We can pray for the kingdom to come. Again, I came across a few um, quotes in my reading this week, and I couldn't say it better, so I've just included them. Um, Al Mohler, in, in praying this part of the Lord's Prayer, he says, it also reorients our own sense of personal autonomy and sense of control over our own lives and situations. This petition causes us to forfeit all our personal claims of lordship and sovereignty over our lives. This petition expresses a humble resignation to and desire for the reign and rule of God. It's no longer my will that's preeminent, but his. It's worth going away and chewing over that. Again, we don't have time, but there's so much in there. But we forfeit all our personal claims of lordship and sovereignty. Um, I love the way Jim Packer puts it, maybe slightly more simply. Here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, which is practicing magic, but to bring my will into line with his which is what it means to practice true religion. Imagine somebody in a completely hopeless scenario. Now, you know the sort of thing. For some people in life, when it rains, it pours. Faced with financial problems and health concerns and family breakdown all at once. Well, that person can pray that God's name would be hallowed that God would be given his place in that person's life as they try to navigate their predicament. We can pray that his kingdom would come. If that person isn't a Christian, that they would be saved, or even if they are, that somehow through that situation, we would see the kingdom grow and that the Lord's will would be done in that scenario, whatever it is. And that is the power to change the whole dynamic of the situation. Now, it's not that we come as blasé in the whole situation and we say we don't care about that anymore no but we can say lord i don't know what your purpose is in this i don't know what you're doing but i trust that your will is being done so so be it and here's the things i need give us today our daily bread but your will be done if we can grasp that order in our prayers then it'll shift our whole attitude in prayer 
Now, it's, it's not that you have to do it in a kind of ritual way, you know, that you have to ask God for his glory first and then ask for personal prayers. It's not like that, but it's about the priorities. It's about the order of things. That's what happens with Jesus in Gethsemane in those short prayers. He doesn't start with requests for God's name to be hallowed or anything like that. He goes straight in with the request for himself. If it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The priorities are in the right order. It keeps us in check. We can ask for something, but having this priority stops us from becoming completely selfish. And as believers, we really want, should want to pray like this. You know, me going to Poland, there'd be purpose in preparing if I was going to go there, and there's purpose in seeking the Lord's will if it's going to lead us to the Lord's way, which is holiness. And that's what the on earth as it is in heaven bit is all about. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our immediate destination when we depart this earth is heaven. And our final destination after Christ returns is a new heaven and a new earth where God is present and where his will is done. Gary Miller in his book, Calling on the Name of the Lord, describes that new heaven and new earth as a place where prayer is completely obsolete because we don't have to ask God for anything because his will is already fully done. We already have all that we need. So if we're preparing to live there, then making the order of our priorities with his way first and then ours, well, it just makes perfect sense. We belong to his kingdom now, so we want his will to be done here on earth the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but as I've been preparing this this week, um, it hasn't been the most complicated thing I've ever had to prepare. We've been in Habakkuk, we've been in Leviticus. This is, you know, this is a bit easier. But as I think about the way I pray, even as I think about those areas in my life which maybe don't quite reflect the priority, I've been incredibly challenged. So as we finish, I just want to suggest one thing that we can all do this week, and I'm going to do it too, just to get this order right. Make this a your will be done week in everything you ask God. You might find it helpful to write down the things that you want to ask him for. Um, I'm gonna do it that way, even if you don't normally use a prayer list, and then pray over those things. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And see if it changes the way that you think about those things on the list. It might be actually that when you pray your will be done that you end up putting a line through some things on the list and that's okay. It might be that you want to reword it to reflect that priority change. But pray this week, your will be done in everything and see if it changes your perspective on the things that are happening in your life. I can practically guarantee because I've been doing it for a couple of days and I know that the things that you think are happening in your life that are just by chance or just background detail that you wouldn't normally see the Lord's purpose in, well, they'll seem to take on greater significance because God has put you in those circumstances. He's placed you exactly where you are and he might just want you to see that he's using those things to work out his purposes and his will. As we respond to uh, God's word tonight, I'm gonna to use the words that we read in Colossians 1 as we pray together. So let's take a, a few moments to pray. 
Heavenly Father, we confess that so often as we pray and as we look at our lives, our first thought isn't always about what your will might be, if we even think about it at all. But Lord, as we confess this, we ask that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Lord, we pray this in order that we would live a life worthy of you and may please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of you, being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience when it gets tough and joyfully give thanks to our God and Father who qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Lord, in our lives, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ Jesus.